Hello and welcome to another episode of Fire 5 at Phoenix. So if you've not joined us for any of these episodes before, the concept is really simple. Uh, we have a topic, we have a guest and we have five questions. So the guests will introduce themselves shortly. The topic that we are talking about today is change and Han, my guest today has got five questions. I haven't seen the questions so I have no idea what is coming. What I do know is that Han is incredibly experienced in their field of sports psychology and has lots of information that I'm sure is going to be really helpful. I know it's going to be a really interesting conversation. I just don't know how that conversation is going to go. So I am looking forward to this. We've had this booked in for a little while, haven't we? It's been a long time coming, yeah. so I'm really happy to get the conversation started. Um, but before we get into the questions, Han, do you want to introduce yourself, please? Yeah, sure. So I'm Han Newman. Um, as you said, I work in sport and exercise psychology. So there's kind of two sides to that. One side is I work in academia, in universities, with teaching and research. Um, and then on the other side, uh, alongside that, I run Newman Sports Psychology, which is my uh, applied sports psychology business. So working with people on a one-to-one -one basis, whether that's on their uh, mindset in relation to competitive sport or whether it's uh, helping someone build a better relationship with physical activity and ex exercise, perhaps someone who's looking to increase their physical activity, for example. Um, and as part of that work, I also do workshops with gyms to, to members and stuff like that. So work in universities and then uh, work applied on in an applied sense with one-to-one -one clients and delivering workshops. Amazing. And are you noticing that it's uh, there's more people taking up the sports psychology side of this because I'm thinking back to you know when when I competed and when we first met sports psychology mm. quite then was for the elite uh like for yeah. your professional athletes but I'm noticing a lot more you know people mm. generally are noticing that mindset has a massive impact whether you're a professional or you do it as uh, as a hobby so you have you noticed the difference over the years of it changing yeah, yeah, I really have. I think, you know, from when I first started studying sports psychology, sort of well over 10 years ago now, probably, um, which makes me feel really old. Um, it was it was still, uh, still felt very small then that when you mentioned it to people, people didn't really know what you were talking about. Um, there was something reserved for those competing at the highest levels. And I guess traditionally, sports psychology was focused on how can I be at my absolute best and how can my mindset contribute to that now I think we see it a lot uh, as a lot broader than that that's still a key part of it for those competing at that level um but that there's also a lot to do with well-being whether it's as a competitive athlete or as a non-athlete as a general population member um and also just seeing how those sort of health and performance things can sort of come together and conflict a lot of the time uh, mm -hmm. I think you know, in the world that we come from, strong man, strong woman, where we met, there's a lot of people who get into that as a health-based journey, um, but it becomes something performance-based because they start competing, they got sort of get caught up in the hype, start moving up the performance ladder, and then those sort of performance behaviours are conflicting with the health goals they had initially, and there's sort of a, a journey to understanding uh, what someone's place is in the sport, how how that interacts, how the performance interacts with health, what's right for them within that. So mm -hmm. uh, I think that forms a large part of the work that I do with, with people at the moment. I work with a lot of people who have been involved in strength training or strength sports and that sort of health versus performance mindset uh, and the behaviours that go alongside that and sort of trying to figure out okay, why, why am I doing this? And, you know, is this performance side that's creeping in, is that right for me? Is that really what I want from yeah. it? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But that sort of, uh, those tensions, sort of a lot of the work that I do is sort of exploring what those tensions are and, and how to work beyond them, I think. Yeah, that definitely resonates with me. That And definitely <laughs> that mirrors like, where I was, you know, with 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 my journey with that too. So I, I am very well aware that I sneaked in a question to you before we even got started. So <laughs> I, I think it's just, I think it's a really interesting topic. And, and I mean, it's, it's all part of the change, isn't it? You even just 
in that bit there and we haven't even got to the five questions yet but we're already talking about that yeah. change the change of yeah. focus change of priorities that change of yeah. dynamic is i change change really is everywhere but let me shut up and let me ask yeah. let me let you ask the questions that you came on here to ask and god zoe take over right let me zip and listen sure. and you go go with the first question <laughs> okay so the question i wanted to kick off with was how would you define successful change in the context of your work? Ooh. I, I mean, I guess really it depends to the individual that I'm, I'm working with. Um, mm. and, and actually that's really important for me not to assume what success looks like for that individual mm -hmm. and really get that clarity on it. And um, I had a first session with a new client today and we spent, you know, pretty much a lot of that first session talking about where are they now, where is it they want to get to, and how do they want to get to there, what's the way they want to get there in a way that works for them, because you know, it is very much determined by them, and success yeah. looks very different to different people, and, and that can change as well, so it's really important for me to keep that in mind, that if I feel there's been a slight shift to some of our early conversations to check in with people to see whether or not things have changed because sometimes as we progress on that journey you know, like we've just been talking about priorities change or the focus changes or you know people change their minds and that's okay and it's okay mm -hmm. to re-examine what success looks like to you and change the goalposts because ultimately our life our goals right and so it's okay for us to change the goalposts of where we're heading or what success looks like so it is very much determined by them I think from my personal view like as as the coach it, it's it's a real challenge because you know as a coach I'm totally bought into them getting where they want to get to but it's also not in my control you know and it's not you know it's that walking or going alongside them but it's their journey and so their decisions, their speed, their direction, it's not in my control. And, you know, coaching is mm. very much me being their thinking partner. Um, but, you know, I talk to people about they are still in the driving seat. And so if until they're ready to get in the car and start the engine and determine where it is they want to get to and how they want to get to, I can stay sitting in the passenger seat for as long as that takes um mm. so i'm not in control and sometimes i can't influence the outcome of their success either so that definitely took a little while to get used to um mm -hmm. you know starting off on this and you know this is coming up to year six it's taken a little while and sometimes you know we're invested in their success absolutely um and it and i always take time to reflect on what I felt was successful in someone's coaching journey. What, you know, how did I show up as a coach? What might I do differently next time? What have I learned from that coaching experience? Because every coaching experience is very different. So I'm, I'm always looking for the learning and I'm looking for the successes in that of, you know, where have I learned? Where have I grown? Where have I done something different that has worked really well? Um, to take successes and the learning for me but yes mm -hmm. ultimately it's it's about it's not about me it's about them and their mm -hmm. journey so uh, yeah, yeah I guess that's that's what my answer would be I mean is it similar for you with your in you know in your coaching in your coaching mm -hmm. world yeah absolutely I mean I think you know the, the very first point you made around it being about the individual is sort of very key to, to my work as well and I think um that can be quite uh not unusual I'm trying to think of the right word but I guess I'm thinking about sort of the fitness and exercise industries that uh that you know a lot of my work is sort of seated in uh, you know the spaces that and and sort of the tendency in the past I think things are changing but to you know that when people think of making change in relation to fitness exercise health that you know there's sort of often numerical data attached to that or you know physical um physical attributes that might have changed fitness levels yeah. 
etc um and that you know if the, the tendency for i think that's something that i have to sort of work through with people a lot in in the work that i do is is okay is that could be a measure of change but is that the right measure for you that's that's a mm -hmm. measure of change depending on on your goals where you're going with things what's important to you that you know that could be a relevant marker of change but is it the right one for you and i guess the other thing i was thinking about as you were talking is sort of the the short term versus the long term i think is what comes up yeah. uh, for me a lot in in the work that i do and in, in the spaces that i work in of sort of okay well you know short short term behavior change in terms of uh perhaps exercising more training more uh, the consequences of that, whether it's changes to fitness levels, changes to body composition, etc., um, versus long-term sustainable change, yeah. uh, I guess. And so I think there's a tendency at the moment for, in my mind, successful change to look like something more sustainable uh, in, in the longer term, as opposed to right over those 12 weeks, X, Y, Z has changed um but at the same time that long-term sustainable change in some kind of behavior might not be what someone else uh, determines as successful change for them either yeah. so i think you know sort of uh i think i'm at a point now where i'm sort of trying to mesh those thoughts of you know my perception of in the exercise psychology space what is a a healthier change a, a more successful mm -hmm. change in that sense but actually is you know, weighing that up alongside well, actually the person that sat in front of me, is that the right change for them still? Yeah. Um, I think that's, yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally does. I, mean, I think as a coach, it's really difficult as well, isn't it? Because obviously we're, we're, you know, we have to put our own thoughts and ideologies to and our own experiences to, to mm. one side. And I think yeah. for me, I guess, picking up on what you've just said there, I guess one of the measures of success for me in terms of from the coaching perspective is mm. can this person now go away and continue their journey on their yeah. own? Like have, have mm. they now got the tools and mm. the resources and that mindset to be able to go and continue that, whatever that looks like. Mm. And I think that's quite often a measure of success for me. And I've had, you know, messages maybe like a year after I've worked with somebody and somebody will just, mm. you know, it'll be a random Instagram DM or yeah. Facebook message that just simply says, this happened to me this week. And I sat there and thought, uh, what would Zoe ask me in this situation? And I've worked, mm. I've coached myself through it and this is the outcome. And that mm. for me is like, that's it you know they've got the confidence they've got that mindset because coaching isn't forever you know yeah. we can't yeah. be on that you know we're not meant to be on that journey with people forever yeah. and it might be that you know there's additional things that we can help them to learn help them to understand but ultimately it's them finding their own resources to be able yeah. to continue and I think that's probably one of the key measures of success from the coaching perspective is you know, have have they now got the tools and resources and the confidence to continue uh you yeah. know without without needing sessions with me to work things through um, absolutely yeah it's a really good point yeah and I, and I think that links into sort of how I see that word of sustainability at this point mm -hmm. so that, you know sustainability is is a big thing in the fitness space we know that lots of people make changes to their fitness behavior it's short-lived something changes again, perhaps reverts back to what it was. So there yeah. is a drive to sort of help people to uh, make more long-term sustainable change. But actually for me, that sustainability isn't necessarily about them still doing that behavior that they've chosen to, to do, whether it's a particular type of exercise or whatever it is. The sustainability to me isn't necessarily about them still doing that a year down the line after the coaching process, but it's being sustainable in uh, you know, sort of consistently and over time still being able to make the right decisions for themselves yeah. on what's yeah. right for them at that moment in time, whether it's in line yeah. with their values, priorities, etc. And actually it's that process that someone goes through that needs to be there in the longer term for me than it is about the actual behaviour. It's, it's a year mm. down the line. Are they still making decisions based on 
uh, around their health and fitness behavior that are based on their values, their priorities in life, what's right for them, uh, or have they slipped back into, well, you know, being, uh, you know, influenced by other things and, and yeah. picking up things that aren't, aren't right for them. So that's the bit that needs to be sustainable for me. Um, and to me, that's, that's, so true. that's successful. If someone's, you know, if someone's get, getting back in contact with me and saying, you know what, I was having these thoughts or this came up and I was able to work it through and, and come to the conclusion that this, you know, that was the right solution for me in that moment. That wasn't because it didn't align with my priorities. And I'm like, great. That's, you know, that's, that's the sustainable change. I think that, that I would see as successful. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Good first question. <laughs> it's, always, it's always about once that first question is out of the way like okay yeah <laughs> now <we're> just... <laughs> yeah yeah okay so so moving on to the next one I was, I was wanted to sort of think about barriers to change what what are some of the most common barriers to change that you've come across in in your work I would say it's the beliefs. It's that belief system that people have, whatever that is, that tends to be the biggest blocker. So I quite often will talk people through um, that it's the, the beliefs that drive the behavior, that drive the response. And uh, this, I mean, this has come up in, in other in, in other episodes of this. So I, I know I'm repeating myself, but actually it's it's really important information from my perspective, it's mm. really important information to repeat. We spend, or there's definitely that tendency to spend a lot of time on trying to use willpower and trying to change the behavior mm. uh, or the emotion or that response. But until we spend time looking at the belief that drives that it's mm -hmm. very very hard and I think often mm -hmm. we need to work at two together so it does need willpower it does need a very conscious behavior change of no I don't want to do that anymore I want to do this instead it mm -hmm. does need that but we also need to work on the belief the rules in our head the story that we tell ourselves mm -hmm. that drives why we respond in that way because if we don't do mm -hmm. that we will only ever be able to change that behavior when we're in that conscious mind and that conscious place yep. in our minds. And the soonest we're tired or hungry or hormonal or emotional or stressed and everything else is taking over, we'll revert back to what we've always done because that's, that's just what we do. And that, so we need to change the belief that sits in behind it. And I think that is the biggest blocker is the belief that we hold the story that we tell ourselves, the rules that we have, that we apply to things that that are, that, that influence that. And I, I don't, I think what comes up in coaching sessions for me a lot of the time is people haven't always thought about it. It's not an obvious thing to think about. Okay, what is driving that behavior? Why do I do that? And it does quite often go into the past. And sometimes it is an uncomfortable conversation while people are working that through. You don't mm. have to know where it's come from to be able to change it. You just have to know what it is and you have mm. to know what it is and what do you want it to be. So what is the old belief that is holding you back and what's the new belief that you want to believe is true that's going to help you to drive those new behaviours? And that comes in with health, that comes in with confidence, patterns of behaviour, all of those things it comes in. But I think that for me is the biggest blocker but if we can get to that and people can work on that it's also the biggest driver of change yeah. as well so as as yeah. often are these things it's the biggest obstacle in the way isn't it and as soon as you remove it yeah. it's what speeds everything up but it's, it's tough sometimes it is tough to mm -hmm. you know, help support and guide people through that but it does need the belief change in itself you firstly you have to identify what the belief is you have to identify what you want to believe is true and then you have to start consciously looking for all of the things that prove that this new belief is true and reinforcing that and it is repetition repetition it's, it's like muscle mm -hmm. memory but in yeah. your head there's neurological pathways of 
this is what I believe. This is the rule. These are my new rules. These, this is the new story that I tell myself. And this is the new behavior, the new habits, the new responses that I want that are mm-hmm. going to lead me into the life that I'm looking for. So it's, it's mm-hmm. a one answer for me. It was a long answer, but it is that one thing yeah. I think is beliefs. And it does link into mindset. But I think if you can change the beliefs, so mm. much more changes. It's that kind of ripple effect of if you change the belief, it has a huge impact across lots of different areas. Whereas if yeah. you change the habit, you have to change all of those individual habits that quite mm-hmm. often come from the same belief. So, mm. yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. And I, I think in sort of the realm, the realm of my work, you know, people's beliefs around, uh, you know whether you know their their identity as a healthy person or mm-hmm. uh, or an exerciser or not um and, and those can be really uh prevalent and sometimes cause challenges to to making change um but also beliefs about what it what it means to be someone who prioritizes their health or prioritizes yeah. fitness um mm-hmm. and sort of break breaking that back down like like breaking those beliefs down and 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 working on those beliefs I guess and I think a lot of that sometimes comes from sort of yeah I guess just how those beliefs inform sort of people's perceptions of what it is to be you know okay well I've decided that I want to make change to my health behavior to my fitness behavior I, I want to be healthier I want to be fitter but what that looks like uh or their perception of what other people who do do that and what that looks like for them is unachievable to them in in Mm. their mind um and i think you know it's quite a common uh journey to go through of sort of working out okay well that's you know that just because that's that person's way of being healthier fitter etc that doesn't mean that i have to do that and i think one of the biggest challenges in in exercise psychology from my experiences from people i've worked with is that all or nothing um sort of that that cognitive distortion of all or nothing thinking um you know i if i'm going to do this then i have to be all in you know and then then there's sort of that fear of failure that comes in of like that feels really difficult for me that feels really unachievable it means i'm going to have to let some stuff go that i don't really want to let go of in terms of other areas of my life um so maybe it'd be easier just to not go near that because Mm. try i'm going to fail and then you know i'm going to be back to square one What, what was the point um yeah do, we've had a conversation in in the community group this week uh around the belief that something is possible so people that have set goals and um you know just some really real some really real talk it's very Bristolian, isn't it some real talk around you know, just that that honesty that i that, that people are questioning whether or not the goals that they have set are possible and that there's a genuine yeah kind of belief in there that it's like that's not me that's not that's I I'm you know dependent on what the goal goal is um you know mm. I don't believe that I can be that person who is uh yeah. you know in this type of healthy body with this type of routine and schedule that eats this way that lives this way that exercises that they that it's I think, and I think that's the the challenge sometimes, isn't it? With with the goals that we sometimes set, is that it's great to set those really big and exciting goals, but sometimes mm-hmm. it does feel very far away from the current yeah. reality. That it's very hard to believe that that level of change is possible. Mm-hmm. But I think mm-hmm. also it's attached to our own identity at the moment and letting yeah. go of our existing identity, even when. Yeah. We, desperately want to let go of that part of ourselves that is we don't want anymore it's still part Mm -hmm. of ourselves and letting go of you know that especially when you hear people describe um these behaviors as part of their identity so i'm an anxious person or i'm an overeater or i'm uh i'm lazy you know you hear people Mm -hmm. attach behaviors to their character, their identity. Yeah. And so when you get to that position where it's like, okay, I'm gonna let that go now, like yeah. they're letting part of their identity go. And that is hard. That's that's a yeah. tough place for people to be, even though you desperately want what's 
ahead of you, letting yeah. go of that part of identity is is a big change. Yeah. And you know, it sometimes just chunking it down into those smaller steps that feel and and I think as you bring in the new bits of you that you're like, oh, I'm, I'm, I really enjoy being someone who works out three times a week. I really enjoy someone who goes to bed at a decent time and wakes up at a decent time. You know, I really enjoy being someone who is more organized with my time and all of the rest of it. Then yeah. you naturally start to let those old parts of you, you leave them behind, but you, mm-hmm. it's that, it's that forward focus, isn't it? Um, it's tough. It is tough. And I'm, nobody says that this, nobody says change is easy. But no. when it's locked in with your values and your purpose and the things that are important to you, it makes change worth it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think this all links in nicely to, to the third question. So I'll, I'll go with it now. Um, and thinking about encountering resistance to change in a, mm. in a client someone you're working with what approach do you take when you encounter resistance to change in in someone as in they are resisting change or that there is a resistance that they're they don't feel in control of so uh i'm thinking about so i guess in the context of my work i'm thinking about someone's um so resistance from them so perhaps they've identified that they want to make changes to their health fitness behavior um but when working through what those changes might be what they could be um there's a resistance from them to to do that even though they've perhaps identified this as something that's quite important to them and something they Mm -hmm. want to do there's a resistance uh there to what behaviors or or what actual you know tangible changes might need to be made to does Great that make question. sense? Great question. I, I think that's the challenge, isn't it? So I think that there's two things that come to mind with that. And the first one is that if if they are resistance, resistant to changes, who's coming up with the change? And I think that's sometimes that's the challenge, isn't it, of that coaching relationship of you know, mm-hmm. offering some suggestions or um, you know, offering a framework or a model or something that you you know that could work for them. If they're mm-hmm. resistant to that, then uh, I think my question would then be: Okay, that that doesn't feel like it's a, a reasonable solution from their perspective. So, bring, making sure it comes back to them to say, okay, what is it that you want? What do you feel is possible? Let's talk through mm-hmm. that rather than me coming yeah. up with suggestions that I've worked for other people um, and I try to really avoid that with coaching mm-hmm. because the more it comes from the individual the less likely they are to be resistant to that they might have some reservations they might have some nervousness yeah. about it um, but the more it comes from them the the, the less that becomes an issue um, mm-hmm. and the the other thing that came to my mind is that uh if there is a resistance to it of helping them to understand what that resistance is. Um, yeah. And I, I think, you know, like I said, I had a, a first session with someone today and one of the questions that I asked was, uh, how much challenge do you welcome in the sessions? Because some people are really comfortable with that pushback, with that challenge mm-hmm. uh, and other mm-hmm. people not so much. So uh it's something that as you build rapport and you get to know the person that you're working with, you get a feel for what level of challenge works and when to push and when to back off. Um, mm. But I always ask that question up front as well, because some people are like, I need you, you know, I've been stuck in this mindset for a long time. I need you to really challenge. I need you to disrupt the way that I think. And I'm like, okay, I can do that as long as I have your permission to do that. Um, and other people are like, mm, yeah, I'm going to need you to kind of go gently on this one. Um, so I think sometimes it's just helping them and calling it out sometimes like, oh, I, that, that I sense some resistance there. What is it that worries you about this? And just exploring it with them. Um, and I think that's why the term thinking partner in that coaching relationship is a really nice way of explaining it because yeah, it, I'm not trying to force the answers out of you. What I'm saying is, is that this is what I'm noticing. This is what I'm observing. 
you might feel it even if you don't recognize that that's what's happening let's just explore it let's just step out of it let's walk around it let's look at it from different perspectives and see what does feel possible um because you know we talk about comfort zone and the fear zone and that stretch zone as well and you know we don't want to force people into a place that they're not ready to step into and it's about that encouragement to step into it rather than a push so i think if there is resistance uh it's checking that they are coming up with the solutions um and the suggestions and the alternatives um and if there is a resistance just helping them explore what that resistance is does yeah. that answer the question yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs> the answer i forget what the question is it's like a, it's a job interview isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah no it does and i think that you know that that resonates hugely with sort of my uh my approach to that in 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 my work and i think you know primarily that the that the individual is is driving um driving what that change is themselves as yeah. much as possible and that it might be appropriate to offer suggestions at certain points but that ultimately that as much as possible those changes that are being identified and those behaviors that are being identified are being driven by them as much as possible and that my role is just guiding them to work out what they what those are um and i think in in motivational interviewing as a sort of a method of communication they talk about rolling with resistance yeah um, and that sort of you know <laughs> avoiding, um avoiding that temptation to you know sort of push someone when it's not quite appropriate to do so like you say explore what that resistance is yeah. instead express empathy towards it you know show that it's you know it's you know it's okay to, to have that resistance and to have those feelings for a start but also i think uh, and i think you spoke about it briefly as well sometimes i think that that exploring that resistance um then leads to sort of identifying if there is a discrepancy between the goal that someone has stated that they want and the behaviors that they are not willing to do but that are right for them to do to, to get there so and I, and I think sometimes even if someone's um identified those changes identified the goal themselves identified the changes that they would need to make to get there themselves that doesn't necessarily mean that the goal and those changes are right for them because that still might have been influenced by what they think they should do and what they think their goal yeah. should be. Um, and that actually that resistance creates a space to say, okay, well, there's some discrepancy here between the goal that was identified by you and the changes um, that you are happy to make and that feel right for you in line with your values, priorities, etc. And if those two things are never going to align, then, you know, is that the right goal? Do we need to revisit that? Do we need to have another conversation about where things are headed in the longer term if this if the path that's needed for that practically is not one that you individually want to yeah. take yeah that's so true I mean, that's one of the questions certainly when we're uh, talking about goal setting you know actually looking at the goal itself of looking at the amount of um, you know what's the the energy mental physical energy you need to put into this to make it happen and then realistically, how much have you got? Because we we know ourselves better than anybody else. Now, I know that there's there's, there's what I have got and then what I'm actually going to put into it. You know? And they're not always the same. It's not always the same number. But also, in terms of time, how much time have you got? And sometimes you need to, if you want to dial it back a little bit in terms of effort and energy, then you dial it back and you extend that timeline but also there's the emotional investment in it as well and sometimes that's where the conflict is in terms of okay there's there's lots of emotional investment but there isn't the energy that matches the emotional investment and it's just adjusting that but then yeah the it's uh, it's such a you know, it's a huge topic isn't it but i i mean it, it's in terms of the resistance sometimes the resistance is there for a very good reason and yeah. actually sometimes yeah. it's a case of time and other things that you can work on and that that resistance there's a time when they're ready 
to challenge yeah. and change that resistance. Um, mm. But that's not our timeline. You know, it's that's for yeah. them. Absolutely. Which is exactly what you said in terms of, you know, that motivational interviewing of, of like helping them to understand. And sometimes just acknowledging that it's there and calling mm. it out is mm. the first step. And then you park it. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. We'll, we can come back to that. When you are ready, we will we will talk that through and we will explore it. But again, mm -hmm. their journey, their their pace, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Completely agree. Completely agree. Um and so uh I guess the, the next one is probably something we've touched on all the way through, really, but um I guess I'm thinking of in terms of if someone's uh, feeling a bit stuck know that something needs to change uh, in whatever area of life um but hasn't really got a handle on what that might look like or what that is for them you know what how do you approach or what would what, what do you do in, in helping someone to identify the change that they want to make it's really tough isn't it and i, I it, it does come up but it, it sounds like you know that in that terms of that question, you know, I, I suspect there's some people that will watch or listen to this and think, well, how do you not know what it is that you want to change? But mm. it comes up a lot. You know, mm. I would say that I can I can separate the people that I work with into two kind of two categories, very generic, but two categories. One group are people who know exactly what it is that they want. Mm -hmm. um, they just haven't been able to make it work and make it happen yeah. on their own. And then there's a second group who they don't know what they want. They just know it isn't what they've got at the moment. Mm. And so they're mm. almost a step further back of helping them to understand what that is. Um, there's lots of different tools that I use. It very much depends on the individual. Um, I don't tend to use the wheel of life uh, exercise mm -hmm. as, a, you know, a with everybody um but i have used mm -hmm. it with people because it's such a great visual in terms of looking at different mm -hmm. areas of life and what works what doesn't work what is yeah. going well what isn't going well um i've adapted that in terms of balance of trying to help people to understand maybe what's that balance sometimes mm -hmm. we look at values we'll look at identifying what their values are and what values are in alignment but more importantly what values are not in alignment with life as it is at the moment um yeah. i've also looked at needs so um you know human psychological needs how are your needs being so first of all what are they how are you yeah. meeting these needs at the moment because sometimes that will help people to understand oh well i have a need for this and that is not being met anywhere at all at the moment yeah. and then yeah. that helps to start a conversation there's lots and lots of different ways. There's some great frameworks out there to be able to use. It very much depends on the individual. Um, and sometimes it just, it's, a, you know, what you pick up on in those first mm -hmm. conversations and either something that they say or maybe something that they don't say. But as they're talking about something, you just notice that change in their body language and you think, oh, okay, that's interesting. Tell mm -hmm. me what that was. Um, so I think sometimes it is just really tuning in to what people are saying, how people are saying it and, yeah. and picking up on perhaps when they talk about something that they don't look as comfortable or certain things come up in different ways in, you mm -hmm. know, in different conversations that, that might offer a suggestion. Um, and sometimes it's just a case of peeling back the layers and sometimes mm -hmm it's one thing and <laughs> you get two or three sessions in and you're like oh and then they say oh that's what it was and you're like that's okay because yeah. it's that you know sometimes mm -hmm. it takes it takes mm -hmm. a couple of sessions and a few conversations to peel back those layers to find out what is going on under the surface so yeah yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely so the other thing you know the very the very first thing you said there um yeah, I, I think it's definitely the case that there, there could be a lot of people thinking, well, you know, surely if someone's coming to work with you, whether it be in a coaching setting, sports psychology setting, whatever it is, then there's something they want to change, they know they right. want to do. But I think uh, I find, and I think, you know, the way you said that there's two different, you know, groups of, of people that you might work with, I think is the same in my work in that some people will, will 
will be seeking help just because they know that they're not in the place they want to be right now, whether that's to do with their, whether it's a non-athlete in terms of health, fitness, uh, in terms of where they're at, or whether it's an athlete who's just not enjoying their sport anymore, or, you know, someone who engages in competitive sport and has enjoyed it. That's why they've always done it, but they're not enjoying it now. And actually the, the work is in unpicking what's, what's not working for you right now uh before it's about moving to okay well what would you know what would positive change look like for you what would you know what but actually if we don't understand what's not working now then how can we base any movement towards anything on you know on solid foundation if we don't understand what that foundation is of these are the reasons why this isn't working for me and so I think you know the the you know taking those deep dives into that taking the time to and I think as a practitioner it can feel counterintuitive sometimes because you want someone to feel like they're making progress and yeah sitting too much in 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 the present or in the past can sometimes feel counterintuitive to that but you know I, I think i strongly believe that that you know that understanding that foundation is really key to then any movement in the future being something Mm -hmm. that's going to be worthwhile and and, you know worth doing and yeah it's that meaningful purposeful as well isn't it because Mm -hmm. we can all make change for the sake of making change and I think that sometimes is the challenge is people make Mm -hmm. changes on the surface and they think oh I'll Mm -hmm. just change this you know, nice yeah. quick win I'll just change this and then everything will start to feel better and then things don't feel better and it's like right okay well I'll try this and then they try mm-hmm. something else and then they try something else and it's like on the surface it feels like they're doing all of the right things to yeah. make them feel better or to yeah. give them the results that they're looking for or, or to achieve the success that they're looking for mm-hmm. but it's not working and there's mm-hmm. it's there's a disconnect there somewhere and Mm. sometimes the disconnect you know I have spoken to a lot of people who tell me on paper life is good so why don't I feel like it yeah yeah that comes a lot on paper Mm. everything that should make me happy and I don't feel happy so what's going on and and that's always an interesting one because obviously with coaching we're not therapists you know Mm. we need to make sure that we understand where that line is and whether or not that's something, you know, especially when people are describing certain feelings that have been that way for mm-hmm. a sustained period of time, we need to make sure that that boundary is in, in place of making sure they get the right professional support. Um, mm-hmm. But sometimes it's, it's alignment of values and needs not being met, which mm-hmm. let's, you know, it's not something we learn in school. So it's not necessarily something that people would think about as okay this is why I don't feel the way I would expect to feel in this situation Mm. so Mm. yes it's it's an interesting on that that's I mean I don't work with a particular demographic and I don't work with a particular challenge so I perhaps see this more than some coaches would because Mm. they Mm. work with a particular challenge so people have identified this is the challenge they want support with and go to that coach whereas I don't um Mm -hmm. but that's I love the variety of that I love that being able to work with that person and help them to solve what is the problem Mm. and find what is their solution Mm. Mm. yeah yeah absolutely yeah I think I think that on paper yeah, I think I think that's a, a really key one because I think that you know that a lot of people would put themselves in that bracket. I think, and um, you know, I think I think that can sort of contribute to people's reluctance to seek support with that because actually, you know, I think there's all that part of us that don't don't want to you know go into something and look silly for doing it because when we get there, we don't actually know what it is we're there for. Yeah, so you, I think you always expect the first question, to, and the first question usually is, well why have you come to me? You know, what, what, what are you, you know, why are you here? And if, if someone's like, well, I don't really know, I think, you know, I think it's really important to, to emphasize really that that space is there to explore that. Um, and, and, you know, I think one of the biggest, um, you know, difficulties for sports psychology as a discipline, particularly in elite sports settings with, you know, in, in high level 
is the perception that you only go to a sports psychologist if you have a problem. Yeah. Um, but actually, you know, rather than seeing it as something as more of a sort of, you know, it could be that it, it could be that there's some there's something in particular that need, that needs working through. But it could also be that actually this is just an exploratory space for me to see what I could do or what I could work on to achieve whatever it is that somebody's looking to achieve. Um, and so I think that's, yeah, I think that's really important. Um, yeah, so people quite often say, don't they, well, I, I, you know, I feel it's very unfair because I'm expecting you to know how to help me with something when I can't tell you what the problem is. Mm -hmm. And it's well, maybe there isn't a problem. Maybe this is just we we explore how you feel. We talk about we give you that space to to talk it through. And and sometimes yeah. people come to that solution on their own, just having that yeah. space to, to to talk it through. So yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one. But I think also just picking up on what you were saying about it only being for the elite. I think that's where mm -hmm. there's a slight shift, or there has yeah. been a shift. Um, over the last couple of years because I think people recognize that with coaching whether it's sports coaching career coaching confidence coaching yeah. um you know menopause health nutrition coaching you know you don't have to be at rock bottom and you don't yeah. have to be at the very top you know there's yeah. a huge there's a huge space in the middle where if you yeah. just want things to be better yeah coaching also works for you too you know you don't have to wait or you don't have to be at rock bottom and you don't have to be at the top you know there's co coaching is for everybody I genuinely believe everybody could benefit from coaching mm. you just got to find the right coach that works yeah. that fits for you but I think coaching as a uh, you know as a in principle everybody could benefit from coaching mm. absolutely absolutely I agree. And I'm going to come on to my last question, uh, which is probably a, a slightly different direction. But how do you approach working with someone who has experienced unexpected change? So I guess we've spoken about when people are, are perhaps coming and looking to make change or trying to figure out what that change might be. Um, but, you know, so, something's happened. There's an unexpected mm -hmm. change in their life. How, how do you uh, approach uh, working with someone who's managing that, dealing with that. Uh, yeah, and I and I do, and I would say sometimes it's not hugely different. You know, I think uh, I think one thing that does come up with unexpected change um, will I will quite often share with them the Kubler Ross change model. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes I show other change models as well, um, but mm -hmm. I think when change happens to us rather than us initiating change mm -hmm. it's a very different feeling um mm -hmm. and it's quite often a different process uh although it it's a, it's a similar process that we work through but it feels mm -hmm. very different because mm -hmm. it's we feel like it's happening to us so i mm -hmm. think the kubler ross change curve comes up a lot in those scenarios mm -hmm. just helping people to firstly understand that this is very normal however you feel on that curve um, mm -hmm. is very, very normal. Um, and especially with change that happens to us, quite often there's a, a different feel in terms of almost like a grieving process of what we've lost or what we perceive to have lost. Um, mm -hmm. And quite often there's a lot of uncertainty around yeah. change that happens to us. And that's uncomfortable because mm -hmm. we don't know and there's lots of unknowns. Um, so I think with that, quite often talk about what's in your control, what can you influence, but also helping them to work on, and this is where it's not dissimilar, uh, work on what do they want the new normal to look like in terms mm. of acceptance of the change mm. that has happened. What do they want their new normal to look like? What are they able to keep? What do they want to keep? And what you know, is there an opportunity to perhaps let go of something that hasn't been working for them as they go through this change process? So some of it is the same, like the, the circle of change, circle of control, circle of influence that comes up even with instigator change. Um, you know, what do you want your new normal to look like? Mm -hmm. 
and that's the same. I think it's more just helping them to manage the emotions and, and managing their response to the change, yeah. um, helping them to identify where they are in control of it uh, mm-hmm. rather than where it's happened to them. Right. I think the emotional element is quite often the, the kind of most significant difference, I think. Yeah. But it's difficult, yeah. isn't it? Because change happens to us a lot and and we don't always recognize it we just move with it and we make it work and and we make it happen but when it's a significant change that can be really really difficult to work with and so just helping people to understand that you know there's there's a model there's like huge amounts of research out there that tells you that this is absolutely okay to feel this you know and and to all of the emotions that you're experiencing and that you're ping-ponging and bouncing around in with is all very very normal and it's okay and the emotions will pass some of them will return and then they'll pass and you'll move on to you know different different feelings and I think the other thing with uh change that happens to us is all of the firsts you know, the first experiences since that change and helping yeah. to manage through those as well. Because quite often yeah. people feel like they've moved on and then there's a first of yeah. something and it pushes them or they feel it pulls them pulls them back. But mm. yeah, I think it, sometimes it's, it's just recognising when you're not in control as well and yeah. you know, accepting... Yeah. This bit is not in my control and I just need to go through one day, one hour at a time and then this pass and I'll get through today and then we'll get through, we'll work on tomorrow, tomorrow, Uh, you know, and it is that, you know, it really does depend on what the change is, but that's probably the difference. I think the emotional, uh, the emotions that are, that come with it are probably the biggest difference. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I guess, Thinking in the context of sports psychology, you know, some of the big unexpected changes that that might happen are, you know, a career change in injury, for example, yeah. um, retirement. You know, in sports psychology, we talk about retirement as such a big key transition phase, and sometimes people know that that retirement is coming, or they're they're mm-hmm. beginning to prepare for it. Sometimes it happens unexpectedly because of injury or deselection, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, that that process is it comes earlier, and I think you know hearing you talk about sort of that grieving process, and then the other side of it of sort of the the new normal. What does the new normal look like for me? You know, I think what's what I did. Uh, I was working on a research project a couple of years ago that was looking at the body image experiences of retired athletes. So mm. the sort of process that people went through, um, and I think one of the big things that came out of it was that. You know, those who um, had time to sort of prepare for their retirement beforehand were much further down that line in terms of the moving from the grieving to working out what that new normal looked like and being in a space where they felt ready and able to to fully explore that. And, you know, I I I know it's not sort of just shifting from one to the other, but it goes back and forth a lot, but that those who were able to prepare for it and had been had had help in preparing for it um were at the point of retirement were much more in a space of right well now I'm going to explore what this looks like for me whereas those who were like okay I got injured and now it stopped and now I'm here yeah. um that there was still all of that grieving to to go through and although as I say it's not linear and you're going back and forth between those two stages it, that was a really interesting important finding for me in terms mm. of you know how, how people uh in that particular example of change in retirement you know the the preparation or lack of preparation that there might be for, for people in that um and when yeah. it does just happen what is the you know what's the fallout from that and and what's the journey that someone goes on after that and I think you know I think in that grieving and, and, you know, there needs to be space for that as well, doesn't there? I think, you know, that's the thing. If, if it's, I think for me, it's also about knowing when someone's exploring with someone when they're ready to 
start thinking about other things. I think we're, you know, we've all had those cases where someone's something's happened and someone's gone, oh, but you can still do this and you can still do that. Yeah. And it's like, hang on a minute. That's <laughs> but that's not what I want to do because I wanted to do that thing and it's been taken away from me. And yeah, you know, that that acknowledging that, you know, just after it's happened, that that grieving process is to that loss of whatever that thing is 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 really a really important part of that process yeah and i um, i would love to see that research actually if you if if you let me have a link to it i would love to have a look at that i think the other thing that i notice and this whether this is with uh sports people um or even in terms of retirement in general Mm -hmm. it's really important to understand what needs our work have met because mm-hmm. when we come out of that working environment, whether that's as an athlete or mm-hmm. uh, just you know the more sort of generic working world, we have yeah. to meet those needs in a different way. Mm-hmm. So we have to find an alternative for them um, mm-hmm. and an alternative healthy way to meet those needs. Mm-hmm. And and I think for you know, certainly my experience of not not my own journey, but being in a, you know a world with a son who is now a professional athlete and being in in an environment with other professional athletes, I I think that sporting world has, it meets very generic needs, but in quite a specific way. And so Mm -hmm. it's really important. I think, you know, my son's 21, but we have those conversations around what that means to him because Mm -hmm. when he's not in that environment in years to come, hopefully a long time ahead, Mm -hmm. he will need to meet those needs in a different way. And Mm -hmm. so understanding what is it about what he does what is it that's important and what are the alternatives outside of that sporting arena to be able to meet those needs and I think there's other complexities around the athlete in terms of you know we and I think slightly going off topic a little bit but in terms of we saw um, I certainly saw during COVID when sport was played behind closed doors some of the athletes needs were not being met without Mm -hmm. the crowd without the support without that part of their game and I think that in itself was a bit mind-blowing for a lot of people because they can understand you know even athletes themselves are like but we're still playing the the game hasn't changed this isn't different Mm -hmm. but it it is different yeah so it's understanding what those needs are because when you come out of that you need to yeah. understand and find alternatives. And it's the same, you know, for people that are retiring, you have mm-hmm. to find replacements to fulfill those needs because ultimately as humans, that's really important to us. And you can't just go, oh, well, I'm going to stop now because that will have mm-hmm. a time limit. And, mm-hmm. and eventually you will need to fill those, fulfill those needs. And if you don't find proactively find ways to do that in a healthy and positive way you will find ways to fulfill them in a way that might not be healthy or positive mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and that and that covid point that you mentioned there uh, really resonates with some of the stuff from that research as well because i think there was you know a tendency for some people in retirement to physically do the same things in terms of training nutrition Uh, as they were as an athlete okay well I can train on my own I'm just going to continue the same routine and and I would hazard you know a a guess that some of that was about trying to meet the same needs that that they that were being met as an athlete but actually Mm -hmm. the competition the you know the support system the social support around all of that wasn't there the behaviors were the same but all of that other stuff wasn't there Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's you know I, I i think for some would have still been some needs not being met so yeah that resonated when you when you spoke about covid fascinating yeah. isn't it and i know you know there's i guess there's I, mean, I would love to have known what i know now mm. 10 years ago you know when when i guess when we first met oh i got you know if we yeah. know i mean you were a bit further ahead in terms of your study and and, and your mm-hmm. knowledge was way ahead of mine but i just think what I would do differently if I knew then mm. what I know mm. now. Yeah. I, I, it's, it, for me, it's just 
watching things with curiosity of mm, okay that's interesting what's going on there yeah. <laughs> and then not offering unsolicited coaching advice and support mm-hmm. just hold on to that Zoe that does not need to be shared <laughs> just <laughs> But yeah, yeah. it's oh, fascinating. Oh, we could talk for hours, couldn't we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great questions. And I've really, really enjoyed the conversations. Like I said, we booked this in a long time ago. So I was, look- I was looking forward to it, but it's been a really, really interesting conversation. And thank you so much for your insights as well. And thank, thank you for having me. I've I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's, yeah it's uh, been great. Yeah. I, I apologise for the um, the dog background noises, which hopefully by the time this goes up onto the podcast channels will have been seamlessly edited out. Um, but I think there might be a few a few uh, dog noises in the background. But um, life is life, right? <laughs> thank you ever so much. It's been great to have you on as a guest. Uh, thank you for those who are watching and listening back. Feel free to get in touch with Han. Their contact details will be uh, all linked into this. We're going to link in their pages, their website, so that you can get hold of them. And if you've got any questions, post them in the comments. I'll keep my eye on them. And if I can't answer them, or if I think Han is better placed to answer them, I will make sure they get it so that they can come back to you. But thank you so much. Great conversation. Uh, And we will be back next month with a new topic, a new guest, and five new questions.